Would you turn with me, please, to the passage which we read in Romans chapter 8? And I'd like us to consider what we have in verses 22 to 25. 22 to 25. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Perhaps it goes without saying that as we consider these verses, we are dealing with eternal realities, and not just things of an earthly origin. But, but uh, let me ask you a question before we progress. And that is, what have you got to look forward to? There's a question. What have you got to look forward to? There are plenty of legitimate things that we look forward to in this life. People look forward to all sorts of things. They look forward to anniversaries, they look forward to special events, diamond jubilees, the Olympic Games or other overblown modern sporting events as well even. Or perhaps prize givings and graduations and birthdays, for example. And you may have a few such eagerly anticipated events in your life. And by comparison you may feel that, well, you have many on the downside, many things to bemoan and regret and so on. That's okay. People may think that way, for example, about ageing or death or decay. When you think of such things, we may not even think we can look forward to them eagerly at all. Most people certainly don't. Most people push them out of their minds altogether. Death and decay and the reality, such realities. The perspective of Paul exemplifies and exhorts here. What he does is exhort a spiritual, a spiritual perspective. He has contrasted earthly sufferings and heavenly glories already in this Chapter and verse 18, for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. He has recognized already that creation itself, creation itself is in a bondage of corruption, eagerly waiting deliverance. And this is what the apostle takes up in verse 22. The creation at present, this present creation is groaning. We don't need the climate change people to tell us this, Extinction Rebellion people to tell us this. It is uh, groaning, creation itself, eagerly awaiting deliverance. We have it in verses 19 to 21. And this is what the Apostle takes up in verse 22. The present creation is groaning, and he pers personifies it. It's waiting the consummation when the new heavens and the new earth will be established and replace it all. Replace it all. There's a realism about this view of, of creation and the fall, you see, and the implications of the fall 
not only for our lives as sinful men and women, but also this creation, this world in which we live also. And that will mean, when the consummation of the new heavens and earth comes, it will mean glorious liberty for those who have been redeemed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So for those of them who had previously died will be reunited with their then instantly glorified uh, bodies and they will become once again body and soul together. The apostle then uses this notion of creation itself groaning for such an outcome to bring home how that it is the attitude of the Christian believer that he ought to have in this life. They are to lift their minds and hearts above, above, to the things above and heavenly. This world is passing. What are you really looking forward to? This fallen world, this corrupt world is passing. This groaning world is passing. What are you really looking forward to in this life? The answer is, well, the answer for the Christian is adoption. Of which there are two aspects in this chapter of adoption. And one is in relation to the here and now experiencing the grace of God in being adopted into the family of God. We have it in verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In relation to hereafter, at death, this is the second point that is reflected in this chapter of adoption. At death the souls of believers are made perfect in holiness and pass into glory to await what? The resurrection of the body perfected in the last day when Jesus comes again on judgment day, which is the resurrection day, when body and soul will be finally reunited. That is something that is implicit in verse 23. We ourselves also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So as we open up these, these verses tonight, I'd like us to consider it in light of three things. Three things. First of all, this may sound surprising, but let us groan inwardly. Let us groan inwardly. The Christian has abundant cause for rejoicing. They're saved. They know the joyful sound of grace in their souls. They're united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. They know that he has loved them. He has loved them with an everlasting love. Even in their trials they will rejoice. Count it all joy when you fall into various, various trials. Says James in his, first, in his letter, first chapter, verse 2. And there's no one more realistic in this world than the, the professing Christian believer. Because they know sin and its effects. They know it in their own life. They know how it affects the world. They know how it affects their relationships. They know how, how pervasive evil is. And that must produce what? It must produce groaning in the heart. Groaning. The believer will groan. And will groan for various specific reasons. Let me just mention three things. Because of physical weakness they will groan. They realise that their, their bodies are weakening. We carry this around. We may have good enough health or we may be very young. There are some young people here tonight and they don't think in these terms necessarily. And yet 
in terms of competition, they may find themselves weak compared to others, either, either in their thinking or in their physical makeup. <coughs> There's a great variety in that sense. But we may have good enough health, but health issues stalk us and trouble us, <coughs> as the older among us recognize. How many of us are not taking some pills for something or other? We groan on this account. And the believer will groan also because of their mortality when they face it with realism. When we realize it, it's happening all, all, all around us every day. Those who are beloved to us or known to us pass away from this life. They die and their mortal remains are laid in the grave. There's the deterioration of bodily strength and bodily functions. Increasingly, we feel our mortality. And naturally, we'll groan thinking about age, aging and death. But the believer also groans in this way because of the prevalence of sin in the world. And this is a basic thing. It's the truth. It's the truth that the more a person possesses of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the true exercise of their souls before God, the more they are aware of the evil of indwelling sin. The more you have and are exercised in the fruit of the Spirit, the more aware you are of indwelling sin. And they will groan that they still have this struggle against sin and temptation. And the evil one, not to speak of the evil one, against the power and deceptiveness and destructiveness of sin and Satan. And it is a daily thing, a daily lifelong struggle, as Paul makes clear in Ephesians chapter 6. A true believer will feel the pain of their fallible, mortal flesh and the attention of the evil one in their experiences and the effects of indwelling sin in their life and in the world, in the world as well. Recognizing the sin in the world doesn't take it doesn't take us much to know about the sin that is happening in the world these days when the restraints of the gospel are largely lifted from our society and men are going on in sin. People are going on in sin. And millions of children are being aborted. I mean, more than the population of Scotland have been aborted in the United Kingdom since 1968. It's appalling. And we recognize it, we see it and groan at it. However, the groaning is not to plunge us into, into black despair and produce a pessimistic, fatalistic spirit. Rather, it is to the end that it may produce eagerness directed towards the promise of something immeasurably better. And something immeasurably better will not be fulfilled in this world. And this is the point that Paul is making here. What can they rightly anticipate? as children of the living God. So I put to you, let us groan inwardly. But secondly, let us wait eagerly. Let us wait eagerly. You buy a plant. It has some flowers. And when you buy a plant, you hope you buy a plant well, there might be some buds on it. It has promise. Promise of more life and beauty to come. 
and colour and so on. Imagine having one of these cactus plants that flowers every, I don't know, 15 years. I don't know why that sticks in my mind, but there are some, I believe there are some cactus plants, you can correct me if I'm wrong, which, which flower only very occasionally, maybe 15 years. And the flower will be beautiful when it comes. And you wait for it year by year, looking at your plant and hoping that the plant, that, the, that, that this beautiful flower is going to appear on it. Meantime, you, tr you, you, you tend it and you treat it well and you give it what it needs or what you believe it needs. Faithfully, you water it or whatever is necessary to make sure that it's in the right position. We had one of these sort of plants and nothing happened to it. Nothing happened to it. But when we were in our Manson Burghead along the coast here, we, it was hung up in the kitchen and it just so happened it was facing the right direction and I had the sun most of the day. Well, the sun... Those who are familiar with sky, the sun did did shine occasionally, and this made a tremendous difference. And it suddenly started to flower, wonderful, after years of nothing happening. The nearer the time comes, the greater the eagerness to see the flower. Now this is how it is in a way when the life of the Christian, realistically groaning over the world and the flesh, and the devil, nevertheless, waiting eagerly for that time when pain will be over and the full flower will be seen in the bright, brightness and glory after so long. Our experience here, what is it? Is it? Our experience here is one of corruption, death and decay all around us. That is the reality of our short lives. Our bodies deteriorate, but wait. There is a day when the souls of believers at death pass over to be with the Lord in heaven. The souls, this is our definition of death, of course, the soul leaving the body, leaving the body, the mortal flesh behind, the mortal flesh for the believers still united to Christ, but it is laid in the grave till the resurrection, till the resurrection. They will be raised and restored and perfectly reunited with the soul. When history is finally wound up, when is history found and finally wound up? It is finally wound up when Christ comes again the second time. That is the day of judgment. It is the day of resurrection. When all the bodies will be res resurrected, reunited with the souls and go to their own place, either the kingdom of glory or else the pit, the solemn place where death and darkness and the flames of eternal ruin are found. But is that not a prospect for the Christian to look forward to, to focus faith and hope upon? A death of body is laid in the earth and is corruptible, though it is still united to Christ. That is an all-important factor here, still united to Christ. But as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, you're familiar with the words, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and the mortal, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. You know the words. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is the prospect for the believer. This is the hope for the believer. This is the reality for the believer according to Christ and the word of God. We may say then that there are three in this, this, this waiting eagerly, there are three 
installments in the believer's full experience of salvation as Bible believers. The first is this. The first installment, as it were, of salvation is the new birth. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Except a man is born again, shall not see or enter the kingdom of God. The new birth is vital. The new birth is necessary. And that is, for, that is so for everybody here. Whatever else you need to, in, in relation to Christian life, there is no Christian life apart from the new birth by the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. And this is the first thing. That transformation in your soul, that regeneration, being made alive to the things of God, by the Spirit of God. And the second installment, as it were, is at death, when the souls of believers are made perfect in holiness, immediately pass into the presence of their Saviour. In heaven, the, the presence of their Saviour, their presence of the others, the others who, who, who were saved and died in, the, in Christ, and the holy angels. That is the intermediate state where the soul is with the Saviour, their body still being united to Christ in the grave where they were laid. And this is the third installment, as it were, of salvation. In the last day, when the bodies of the saved will be raised and reunited with their souls to enjoy the fullness of eternal life, body and soul, on the new heavens and the new earth, physically, where only righteousness and bliss are the experience. Only righteousness and bliss. It's mind-boggling, in a sense, when we think of what we groan about in this world. We groan about the, de the decay and corruption, death. But there, no such thing. No such thing. What a prospect, is it not? No sin. Nothing that defiles. Nothing that defiles. No pandemics. No death. No decay. No immodesty. No cursing. Only glory, glory in Emmanuel's land with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, with the holy angels and with the redeemed of the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth in which there is only this righteousness. Righteousness according to God's measure of righteousness, a perfect righteousness of life and heart and mind and action. Here below we have all sorts of potential for anxiety, don't we? I dare say there's not a single person that came into the church here tonight that didn't have some anxiety in their lives. Something they're anxious about, whether it's their own life or with reference to other people. We have this as a, a natural thing. It happens in this fallen world. We become anxious of things in our everyday life. Well, Paul addresses this in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verses 6 to 7. Uh, we may we may read these verses actually and you'll see the, the the purpose for doing so in a moment verses 6 and 7 he says be careful or anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your minds and hearts through Christ Jesus but then he goes on in this vein finally he says finally Brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. 
Just imagine it. Meditate on these things. Think upon them. Now, we, we know that we can't, in this world, in this flesh, we can't live out such virtues perfectly in this fallen world and in our fallen state. We are meditate upon these things and seek to, to live accordingly. But isn't this an insight into the heavenly state? That state where there is no sin to interfere with these virtues. Will these virtues not adorn perfectly all who die in the Lord and pass into glory? Surely the answer is yes. What a life eagerly to await. What an expectation, what an anticipation, what a hope. The full enjoying of Christ and all the redeemed and holy angels to all eternity. Without anything to defile it. What a thought. Meditate on these things, says Paul. But then the third thing is, uh, let us groan inwardly and let us uh, wait eagerly. But thirdly, let us hope expectantly. Let us hope expectantly. We have this in verses 24 and 25. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Let us hope expectantly, dear friends. Now it's already clear, isn't it, that hope is at the heart of this passage. We've read these two verses. But that is to say, not just any hope, certainly not vain hope, but Christian hope. There is no other hope that will endure that we entertain in our lives or ultimately will count for anything. What is hope? It is faith with reference to the future. And what a future the true believer has. What a hope, what a hope, therefore, they entertain. Now, those who are without God and without, are without hope in the world, we read. But the believer has hope. And hope sustains them in this life. They have been adopted into God's family. They await the redemption of the body. They are saved in this hope. Saved in this hope. Over against this, by contrast to this, hell is utter hopelessness. All who land in hell will have an eternity of hopelessness. No escape. No amelioration. In his inferno, Dante has this inscription above the entrance to hell. Leave behind all hope, you who enter here. The Christian hope, what is it? It is the hope of glory. How precious is this in the life of the Christian as they go through this, this life? The story is told of a little girl facing an examination, perhaps the age of, of young, young children here. Um, and she was waiting, she was facing examination. And the question was, upon what do hibernating animals subsist during the winter? Her answer was unexpected. 
All winter long, hibernating animals subsist in the hope of coming spring. That's a bit like the hope of the Christian, only far inferior. The hope of the Christian is substance. Why? Because it is based upon the revelation of God through his word. It is based on the teaching and promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's even a promise enjoyed by the dying thief. Today you will be with me in paradise, he said. To Jesus to him. Christ is said to be our hope. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, we have this wonderful statement. This, this is a description of a believer. Christ in, in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it will be then, you in Christ, experiencing glory. But how are we saved in this hope? We read this in verse 24 here. The idea here is that the salvation experienced in the past, the salvation which the, the believer now experiences, now possesses, is characterized by hope. This hope is, is planted, as it were, in the soul by the Holy Spirit when a soul comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Saved in this hope, characterized by hope, the salvation possessed in this life is not complete. There still awaits the completion or consummation of salvation in the glory beyond. In these stages, the soul going to be with the Lord and then at the very last day, the resurrection of the body, reunited with the soul to enjoy the presence of of Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the redeemed and all the holy angels beyond. My dear friends, there are glorious prospects ahead for all who trust in Jesus. If any here don't trust yet in Jesus, let me urge you to do so. We have the gospel, you have the call of Christ. He says, come unto me, all your labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. We are invited to come, and we ought to come. Why? Because otherwise, otherwise, there will be just a, nothing but a dreadful loss and a hopeless eternity. What a thought. What a thought. But there are glorious prospects ahead for those who are in Christ. And here we are in a day of grace, a day of opportunity, a day in which men and women and young people and children can still come to Christ for salvation. And oh, let no one miss this, this opportunity of coming into this glorious prospect. There are glorious glories to be anticipated. The anticipation is fueled by hope. And in that hope, there will be eager anticipation 
with perseverance. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience or perseverance wait for it. <clears throat> it perhaps goes without saying that the hope that hope largely focuses on the next great event of divine revelation. The next great divine uh, event of divine re revelation, what is it? It is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the inbreaking of Christ into this world, at the end of the world, according to his timetable. Now, the hope of the believer in death lies in their soul going to be with the Lord. We've reflected on this. And hearing these words from him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. But his second coming will usher in the very end of human history. Resurrection day, the day of judgment. With such prospects in view, Paul writes to the Thessalonians that grace, that, that grace of God teaches us that we should mortify sin and live godly lives here. This is implicit in verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paul teaches this, uh, Peter teaches the same in his second letter, chapter 3, in the ap that apocalyptic passage in verses 11 to 14. 2, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 11 to 14. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. What sort of persons ought you to be in all, in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness? We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And so on. Grace does not teach license or indifference to the fact of sin and indwelling sin. No. Grace teaches that we are to be holy people. It teaches us to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Without this perspective, Perhaps it is little wonder that we languish when it comes to zeal for Christ and his gospel. This then is to be an eager looking for you, of your soul. It is to be an eager longing of your soul. May this be true of your experience tonight and every day that remains on your short and brief life in this fallen and corrupting world. And may the Lord bless these thoughts upon his holy word. Let us pray. <laughs>
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the revelation that we have in Scripture and the certainties, the eternal verities and realities of eternity to come and the glory of it for those who trust in the glorious Son of God who loved His own and gave Himself for them and is coming again. O Lord, we pray that Thy blessing would be upon us tonight under the hearing of Thy Word. And Lord, that Thy power would, would, would transform our lives. Help us, Lord, to look with anticipation eagerly for that eternal life to which Thy people are appointed. Help us. Meanwhile, Lord, we pray to mortify the sin that is in us and to live for Christ self-consciously in this world. So hear us, Lord, we pray, and forgive us all our sin for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let us uh, sing in conclusion Psalm number 71. Psalm number 71. And we'll sing from the beginning to verse 5. O Lord, my hope and confidence is placed in thee alone. Then let thy servant never be put to confusion. And let me in thy righteousness from thee deliverance have. Cause me escape, incline thine ear unto me and me say, Be thou my dwelling rock, to which I ever may resort. Thou gavest commandment me to save, for thou art my rock and fort. Free me, my God, from wicked hands, hands cruel and unjust, for thou, O Lord, art my hope, and from my youth my trust. These verses of Psalm 71 to the praise of the Lord. O Lord, my hope and confidence is placed in thee alone. O Lord, my hope and
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.